going to have a good time as we reflect on the word of the Lord today, especially on Palm Sunday. And um, I was thinking, every year as a pastor, I preach the same sermons when it comes to Holy Week and Easter and Christmas and all Pentecost Sunday, all those special liturgical um, dates within the calendar. The reason we do that is so that you can have a holistic view of the scriptures. You know, that's why the church calendar is important. I've, I know some churches that never even mentioned Palm Sunday, you know, and so it's important that we tell the story, the holistic story, the whole story of Christianity, not just bits and pieces of it. And so, um, and then it forces us to look at scripture uh, from different angles. And so this morning, as I was praying this week, getting ready for to preach, I thought to myself, Pastor David, what else could I say about Palm Sunday that I haven't said in, I've been here seven years, that I haven't said in seven years? And it's really interesting to me that as I was studying, I found some nuggets that's found in the story of Palm Sunday that I didn't see before. Lo and behold, as I was reading the scriptures, I saw things that I never saw before. And I think that that's important as you read and study the scriptures, I think it's important that we, when you read the scriptures, the scriptures actually read you, you know. And as you're reading the scriptures, the Holy Spirit who is the teacher, the revealer of truth, he, he will reveal things to you that you've never seen before and connect the dots. And so as I was studying, I saw some things I never saw before. And of course, I confirmed it with other resources to make sure it was true. And it was true. Um, and I, and then as I was studying this, I'm like, I remember years ago studying this, and of course, I totally forgot about it, and all these years, it just slipped my mind about some of these nuggets on Palm Sunday, so I'm excited as I was rehearsing Palm Sunday and the message of Jesus going into Jerusalem, some of the things that I found theologically that is applicable to your life today, and so how many would give me a few moments as I share it with you this morning, raise your hand. Are you ready for it? Somebody say, I'm ready for it. You know, Palm Sunday commemorates the very act of Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. It starts what Christians refer to as Holy Week. So all throughout the world, 2.3 billion Christians this week will celebrate Holy Week in one way or another. And uh, here at Christ Point Church, we're going to celebrate Friday. So I encourage you to come out Friday at 7 o'clock for our Good Friday service. But Christians throughout the world will celebrate different aspects of the Lord's passion and different aspects of the, the story that's found in the Gospels. And today starts that celebration of Palm Sunday. Jesus going into Jerusalem, thousands of people took palm branches and they begin to wave palm branches crying, Hosanna in the highest. Now I made mention of this earlier, but you need to understand the historical context. And the historical context is the people of God who is the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, were living under oppression. And the Romans were putting them under oppression. And so they were hoping, they were praying for a Messiah, a deliverer, that would deliver them from oppression. The people of God wanted their own land and they wanted to live in freedom. That's all they ever wanted was to live in freedom. As a matter of fact, if you read the Scriptures, the people of God wanted a king like unto David. Because if you read the Old Testament, David, King David, was a very successful king who brought peace and prosperity to his kingdom. 
And the Jewish people wanted another King David. They wanted somebody to bring them peace and prosperity. But they were under Roman oppression. And they longed for someone to deliver them. That's why they missed Jesus. They missed it. A deliverer, a Messiah, is not supposed to die on a cross. Especially not a Roman cross. They missed it. No wonder they were discouraged. No wonder they didn't show up at the crucifixion. Nobody was at the crucifixion except a few women and John, his very close friend. That's it. Where are the other 11 disciples? They were disheartened. They were discouraged. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. We go to church and we're singing and we're worshiping and we worship Jesus as God. But 2,000 years ago, that wasn't the concept. They didn't worship Jesus as God. They were looking for somebody to overthrow the Romans so that they could live in peace. They wanted a Messiah. They wanted a deliverer. And they missed it. They missed it. They missed Easter. They missed the crucifixion. They didn't understand the significance A somebody who was going to deliver them is not supposed to die on a Roman cross. They missed it. They were hoping for a redeemer. You know, Jesus is getting ready to ascend to heaven, and you don't have to turn there, but this is ironic. Jesus is getting ready to ascend to heaven after his crucifixion, and they still didn't get it. You would think after Jesus was being raised from the dead that some kind of light bulb would go on, but these people still didn't get it. Because the Bible says in Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 6, they'll put it behind me, Acts 1 and verse 6, look at the conversation right before Jesus is lifted from the Mount of Olives into heaven. The conversation at the Mount of Olives is this, Therefore, when they come together, they ask Him, saying, Lord, when will You restore the kingdom of Israel? They missed it, folks. They were thinking of a physical kingdom. They wanted Jesus to overthrow the Romans and set up a kingdom like unto David so they can live in peace and prosperity. They were not expecting God in human flesh. Now we come to church and this Messiah, this Redeemer that died on a Roman cross was actually God in human flesh, but that was not their mindset then. It's no wonder, Pastor David, that they took palm branches and waved it And they're crying, Hosanna. The word Hosanna means save us. They were saying, Lord, save us from the Romans. Give me that palm branch, please. They took the palm branch and they're waving it. And they're saying, Lord, save us. Save us from this Roman oppression. Now, why was there such a celebration? Well, I'm sure that Lazarus was in the crowd. You know, just a few chapters earlier, Lazarus was raised from the dead. I'm sure Lazarus was in the crowd and he had a palm branch and he was waving it because he was was celebrating what God had done for him, what Jesus the Messiah had done. I'm sure blind Bartimaeus was in the crowd and he was waving his palm branch. I'm, I'm sure the woman with the issue of blood, she was in the crowd that day and she was waving her palm branch. Oh, Jesus had a fan club. But all of them still missed it. The woman with the issue of blood, even though she was healed, she was still thinking, Jesus, if you can heal me, surely you can overthrow the Romans. 
Blind Barnabas is thinking, if you can heal me, surely you can, you can overthrow the Romans so we can live in peace. They're waving their branch because they wanted freedom from their oppression. Let me say this. How can somebody, how can you praise Him and cry Hosanna one day and at the end of the week the same crowd said crucify Him? How can, how can that happen? Their praise ended up becoming persecution. Don't lose Pastor Josh. Get this. Sunday, they waved their branches and cried Hosanna. Thursday and Friday, they were crying, give us Barabbas. Crucify him. Let his blood be on us. What happened in three or four days that changed these people? It sounds like church people today, don't it? One moment they're praising God and the next moment they're persecuting you. Y'all, I should have got a big amen right there. They're waving their branch and they're waving praise to the Lord and yet at the end of the week they're persecuting Him. You know why I think that's so? Because anytime you're confronted with the truth, your praise has the ability to change. And Jesus confronted them with the truth and they couldn't take it. So, if your praise, your praise is only as authentic as the truth that's founded upon. Let me say that again. Your praise is only as authentic as the truth that it's founded upon. They're waving their palm branches, but they wasn't waving it in truth. They were waving it in their own knowledge of truth. They wanted Jesus to do what they wanted Him to do. And if your praise is not founded on truth, then your praise will turn to persecution when things don't go your way. If you don't put your praise in truth, your praise will turn to persecution. You see, as you look at the story, they failed to realize something. This is what I want to point out this morning. These people missed it. And just like millions of people today, they still miss it. They don't see what God is trying to do. And sometimes we don't see what God try, is doing in our life until we look back. You know, we have destination disease. We, we're always trying to get somewhere. And then when we get to wherever we want to go, we usually talk about how we got there. So it's really not about the destination, it's about the journey. And so sometimes we don't see what God wants to do in us and through us until we have the opportunity to look back. And these people missed it because they were not spiritually discerning what God was trying to do. But any Hebrew student, anybody who has read the Old Testament would have known what God was trying to do. You see, ladies and gentlemen, and I don't want to give you a history lesson, but this is very important for you to see. The Jewish people were living in their land under oppression, but they still had the temple of God. You know, the temple was a permanent structure where Solomon, Solomon built a permanent structure. It was destroyed in 586. Later, it was, uh, it, it was built again. Uh, Herod added to it and made it a grand uh, temple. 
And, uh, and that's a whole different another lesson. But the temple of God was a meeting place for God and man. All of the religious activity was around the temple. All right? Even though these people were under oppression, the Jewish, the Jewish government still allowed them to worship as long as they didn't get radical about it. Now what happened was this. Anybody reading the Scriptures understood a parallel that was happening. And this is what I want you to see that I think is significant about Palm Sunday. Now, the Scriptures will be behind me. If you go to Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 18, I want you to see a phrase here, and I'm not going to be long because I don't have much to say, but I do want to say this. Ezekiel chapter 10, verse number... Uh, chapter 10, verse 18. Ezekiel chapter 10, verse number 18. Ezekiel 10, verse 18. The glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherub. Now if you go to verse number 19, and the cherub lifted their wings and mounted up from the, the earth in their sight, and when they went out, the wheels were beside them, and they stood at the door of the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of the, the, glory of the Lord of Israel was above them. So what I want you to see here is Ezekiel is prophesying that the temple, that the glory of God would depart from the temple. Now, if you read the whole chapter, the reason the glory of God was departing from the temple is because people were, were being sinful. They were being wicked. And so God was departing the glory of God from the temple. So the very first thing I want you to see, this is significant. The glory of God, according to the prophet, the glory of God would leave the temple. Well, it's ironic that the glory of God never showed up to Herod's temple the temple in which Jesus was worshiping at, the glory of God never showed up like it did on the first temple. So the glory of God had departed, for the most part, the temple of God, except for the Ark of the Covenant. There wasn't the Shekinah glory of God hovering over the temple like it did on the first temple. And the prophet said that the glory would leave the temple. Now, it's interesting to me that the Bible says that it departed from the threshold. It departed from the temple. It left. Now, it's interesting to me that as you read this scripture that um, you will find that the temple of God was God's meeting place with man. God would meet with man at the temple. And so for the glory of God to leave the temple was very significant. When God's presence leave the temple, that's very, very significant. But the Bible also says in Ezekiel 43 that the glory would return back to the temple. If you go to Ezekiel 43, Ezekiel 43 verse number 1, the same prophet said that even though the glory is leaving the temple, the glory shall return to the temple. Ezekiel 43 verse 1. Now don't lose me here. The prophet said, afterwards he brought me to the gate, the gate that faces towards the east. Everybody shout east. And behold, the glory of God of Israel came from the way of the east. Somebody say it came from the east. So the glory of God came from the east and His voice was like the sound of many waters and the earth shone with His glory. So it looks as though God was coming back to His temple and His face is shining like the glory of God. His voice is like many waters and the glory of God is coming from the east. Somebody says, it's coming from the east. 
And the Bible says in verse number 4, And the glory of God came into the temple by the way of the gate which faces to the east. And the prophet said in verse number 5, The Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Now hold on, don't lose me, because I'm about to get excited and I have to calm down. Is that all right? Are you ready for this? Did the glory of God leave the temple? But did the glory of God return to the temple? How did it return? It returned by coming where? East. It came from east and it was coming to the temple and it looks as though it looks as though it was God was coming to the temple. His face was shining, his voice was like many waters. It was like God was coming to the temple. Well, if you and I love this. If you go back to the story of Palm Sunday, in Mark chapter 11, verse number 1, Mark 11 and verse number 1, Mark 11, verse number 1, any serious student of the Scriptures that was living in the time of Jesus would have saw the parallel. Because in Mark chapter 11, verse 1, the Bible says they were drawing nigh to Bethany at the Mount of Olives, and He sent two of His disciples there. Now, he was drawing near to Jerusalem to, uh, and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. That's eastward, ladies and gentlemen. He is coming eastward to Jerusalem and Bethany to the Mount of Olives. Jesus is coming eastward, and when he gets there, he rides on a donkey, and they begin to wave their branches. So what is the significance here? The significance is that any serious student of the Scriptures that was in the crowd that day would have recognized that there is something more that's happening here, that the glory of God is not a cloud any longer that would hover over the temple, but the glory of God is coming eastward, riding on a donkey, and the glory is coming back to the temple. The glory is coming back to the temple. He's coming back to the temple. Any Jewish student would have recognized what God was doing. God is not sending a cloud any longer. Because in the Old Testament, Exodus 33, the cloud would be so heavy over the tabernacle that the priest couldn't even stand up to minister because it was so heavy. You remember what I'm saying? The prophet further said in Habakkuk chapter 2 that there's coming a day that the glory of God is going to be greater on this temple than it was on the former temple. The former temple had a cloud. The former temple had the Shekinah glory. But this temple in Mark chapter 11, God is saying, I'm going to fulfill prophecy. I'm not going to send a cloud. I'm going to send myself and I'm going to restore the glory back to the temple of God. Now hold on here. When he gets to the temple, when he gets to the temple, the Bible says in Ezekiel 43, Ezekiel 43 in verse number 8, Ezekiel 43, when the glory of God returns back to the temple, the prophet said in Ezekiel 43 verse 8, that when they set their threshold by my threshold and their doorpost by my doorpost, a wall between them and me, and they defiled my holy name by abominations which they've committed, therefore I will consume them in my anger. So get this. The glory of God departed. 
But the scripture says it's going to come back eastward. The glory is going to come back from the east and it's coming back to the temple. But when it gets back to the temple, when it gets there, he is going to clean out his temple because there's abominations there and he's going to use his anger to clean out the temple. Whew. Are you ready for this? Mark 11, verse 1. You ready? Mark 11, verse 1. The Bible says that Jesus is coming from the east. It doesn't use the word east, but location-wise, He's coming from the east. He's coming as, a, as God's representation of the glory of God back to the temple. The, the glory had left the temple, but God, Jesus, is coming back. for the, He's bringing back the glory to the temple. Now listen, when it gets there, when He's coming back, the Bible says right after they waved their palm branches, verse number 15, Mark chapter 11, verse 15, the Bible says He came to Jerusalem and what did He do in the temple? He began to drive out all those who sold in the temple and, all, and He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats that sold doves. Verse number 16, and He would not allow anyone to carry uh, wells through the temple and he taught them saying that my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations but you have made it a den of thieves what was he doing just like the prophet said the glory is going to return to the temple and when it returns to the temple it's going to clean out the temple and I want to let you know that Jesus is doing the same thing. He's the fulfillment of the prophet Ezekiel. He's coming back to the temple and the very first thing he does is he gets angry and he cleans out the temple and says it's going to be a house of prayer. Jesus is fulfilling what the prophet Ezekiel is talking about. Clean it out. You see, what these people failed to realize, these people failed to realize that in Matthew 12, verse 6, Jesus is standing. In Matthew 12, verse 6, Jesus is standing. I want you to see this scripture. Jesus is standing in the midst of these people, and he says, You don't even know that one that is standing among you is greater than the temple itself. You, you want to put all this pomp and circumstance around this physical building of yours. You want to keep all the sacrifices and rituals and you want to make sure all of it's done according to the law, but you are failing to realize that I am greater than the temple. I am God. All of the fullness of the Godhead dwells in me bodily. You're missing it. I'm greater than the temple. It's no wonder when he's on that donkey coming into Jerusalem, coming eastward, prophet foretold that he would come and his voice be like the voice of many waters. It's interesting to me that number one, Palm Sunday teaches us that God's presence was being restored back to his people. That God wasn't working in clouds any longer. A cloud of glory here and a cloud of glory there. But God was changing and shifting. He says, now my glory is revealed in my Son. 
I know we come to church and we want to pray for a cloud of glory to show up, but any time we have Jesus in the midst, there's always a cloud of His presence here. Got to be careful you don't worship the cloud. Forget about the man, Jesus. He is the glory of God. I said, He is the glory of God. I said, He is the glory of God. Not our music, not our preaching, not our lights, but He is the glory of God. So not only did they want, not only do you see God's glory being restored, but these people wanted a, a king like to David. You know, David was a, the most prosperous king of Israel. He brought prosperity and peace to the nation, and they wanted somebody like him. But the writers, when you read the Scriptures, they didn't seem to think that somebody like David would come. They started saying that God Himself would be the king. You see, those people missed it because they were looking for a physical human to rule as a king. And God is saying, listen, I want to rule as your king. The Bible says in Malachi chapter 1, verse 14, Malachi 1, 14 gives us a prophetic utterance that God would be the king of His people. That it wouldn't be another David, but it would be God Himself that would sit on the throne and He would be the King. The prophet said that His name would be feared among the nations. That God would sit on the throne and you and I would be kings and priests unto Him. These people wanted a physical kingdom. They wanted a physical king. But God was saying, my original intent for you at the beginning was that I would be your king, but you rebelled against me and wanted Saul. But I want to take you back to the very beginning. I want to be your king. So when Jesus came into Jerusalem, Jesus was coming as a prophetic fulfillment of the prophet Ezekiel, but not only as a prophetic fulfillment of the prophet Ezekiel, but He was coming as King Himself. How do I know that? Jesus was King. He was God. And Palm Sunday reminds us that Jesus was establishing His kingdom. And the only person that recognized it. The only person. Everybody else missed it. Everybody else went to work. Everybody else went to their religious duties. Everybody else sent their kids to school. But only one person saw it. And he didn't even know he was seeing it. The Bible says in John chapter 19, verse 19, John 19, verse 19. The Scripture recalls there's a man by the name of Pilate. And Pilate wrote a title on the cross. And the writing was this. Jesus of Nazareth, He was the only one that said it, King 
You see, they were waving palm branches saying, save us. But Pilate didn't even know what he was doing. He was declaring that Jesus not only is the glory of God, but he is the king of the Jews. He, he wrote it and put it above his head. And the Bible even says in verse number 20 that this man wrote it in three different languages. Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Pilate didn't even know that he was fulfilling the great commission. Pilate is the first evangelist. Not Mary Magdalene. It is Pilate declaring to the world that Jesus is... He was the first evangelist. He wrote it in three different languages. He was an ecumenical preacher. He learned to speak the languages of the people. He declared that he is king. Oh, you know, he was doing it mockery. But if Pilate could see us now, If that Roman centurion that knelt at the cross watched the blood flow from our Lord's body, he says, surely this is the Son of God. If Mary Magdalene could come back and see us now. If those twelve apostles could come back and see us now. Jesus left with 120, but He's going to come back for more than He ever left. We are stronger I said, we are stronger. We are better. Don't you let anybody tell you that the church is weak. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We are strong. We are vibrant. We are alive. We're not sick. We're not barely making it. The church of Jesus is alive and we are well. Is there anybody in this building that's alive and well in the church of Jesus Christ? Hallelujah! So as you wave your palm branch today, let us remember that Jesus is the fulfillment of the glory of God. Hallelujah! Let us remember that Jesus is the King. Don't look for somebody like David any longer. God wants to be your King. And Pilate was the only one that recognized it. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus stood before Pilate. Pilate stood before him and said, what is truth? He didn't even realize that truth was standing in front of him. Jesus is the answer. Not another glory cloud. Jesus is the answer. He is the glory of God. I said, Jesus is your answer. He is the hope of the world. Hallelujah. The first time He came, He came as a babe in the stable. The second time He will come, He will come as a righteous judge. The first time He came, He came riding a donkey. But the second time He will come, He will come riding a white horse. The first time He came, He came as a lamb to the slaughter. But the second time He will come, He will come as a lion enthroned to judge. 
I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, the glory has come back to the church. And He is our King on this Palm Sunday. What about it? Somebody's ruling your life. Who's King of your heart? Somebody is. Something is. Something takes more of your time and your attention. Somebody is a God of your life. What is it? Is Jesus your Savior and Lord? Is He your everything? Have you made Him the Lord of your life? Are you following Him with everything that you've got? Is Jesus Lord? Because if He ain't Lord, He ain't Lord of anything in your life. Serve Him. Love Him. I talk about me because I can't talk about you, but I was a little boy. I remember as a little boy sitting on the church pew. My heart was so in, so touched. Tears streaming down my face as an eight-year-old boy as I felt and sensed the power of God. And as a little boy, Mike, I used to hear words in my ear. I, I never knew what it was until I got older. Used to hear words, Woe unto you if you preach not. Well, I used to hear it as a child. I'd get up in the middle of the night and hear these words, Woe unto you if you preach not. Honest to God is my witness. Before I could even learn how to read, I remember hearing those words. Remember telling my grandmother at an early age, I kept hearing these phrases and they would pray over me. And I'm telling you, and I'm telling you this story for a reason. Is that I didn't go after seeking after this and that, and I didn't go run from here and jump to church. No, no, I, my heart was pulled to Christ. My heart was pulled. I felt as though I didn't even have a choice. I know that sounds even non theologically, but I felt like it was so strong that I had to serve Him. And I'm telling you today that I'm not just preaching to you some kind of dead letter this morning. I'm telling you something that's real and alive and can change your life forever. I'm not talking about dead orthodoxy. I'm talking about something that can change your life. But you've got to surrender your life to Him. You've got to surrender it. He will only use you if you're submitted to Him and surrender to Him. King David before he went to Goliath, he reached down to pick up a stone, put it in his slingshot to slay that giant called Goliath. Can you imagine him putting his hand in the bag? One stone, five little stones. One of those stones said, well, surely David will use me. I'm the most talented I can hear another stone say, surely David will use me because I'm the most beautiful one. 
Another stone said, Surely David will use me in his hand to slay that Goliath David because I'm the most theologically educated. But when David stuck his hand in the bag that day, he didn't have time to look for the most theologically intellectual. He didn't have time to look for the most beautiful one and the most talented one. And all those are good and fine. But that day, when he stuck his hand in the bag, he chose the one that was closest to his hand. He chose the one that was closest to his hand. Not the most talented one. Not the most beautiful one. Not the one that has it all together. But the one that was closest to his hand. And I want to ask you something. How close are you to this man? Is this something that we just do every Sunday? Do you really have a life-changing experience with this man? Do you really know the glory of God? You really know this king that we talk about. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. And thank you for your mercy.